Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Fright Fest 2017 Roundup with me, Stuart Wright, and my co-host, Sam Ashurst of Arrow Video Podcast fame. Um, there is, as you might suspect from the introduction, there is a part one, which you should be able to get from the same place you got this part two, if you're coming to this first. Um, it will feel like we're jumping in to the conversation because there is no intro, hence me putting together this wobbling intro. So, without further ado, back to the podcast with me and Sam. Well, as a segue, as segues go, and the word crazy, uh-huh. one film that we did actually, well, in fact, you led me by the hand, <laughs> I think it's safe to say. I was I was a lost lamb <laughs> walking around Leicester Square on the on the fifth day of yeah. of, of Fest, and uh, you you were you were equally lost in your in your hangover hell. Oh God! Yeah. And actually, I've, uh, dear listener, I don't think I've ever watched a film where the transference of a hangover has happened to me because at the end of the film, I felt like I had Sam's hangover. Yeah, uh, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And that was us watching Meatball Machine Kudoku. Yes, which, as far as action splattercore goes, that goes to places I didn't know films logic could go to. And as anyone that, that has paid attention to my daily reports will know, I deferred to a, Jap- a Japanese living friend of mine who's been in Japan for 20-odd years to try and understand what the bleeding hell the film is about. Because ostensibly there is a glass jar going through space. <laughs> and said glass jar covers a whole quadrant of a city when it lands mm. and cuts people off from the world. And it releases... I don't know what you'd call them. They, they're a bit like the facehugger, I suppose, in, um, but they're, they're robotic things. And they turn you into robot, animal mutations, half-breeds, whatever, who just go around killing each other to dominate, I guess. There's no, there doesn't seem to be a big plan, does there? It just turns people on each other. Yeah, it's kind of... Um, so um, one interesting element of the transformation is that um, whatever you were obsessed with oh, in, that's your, right. in your normal life um, becomes a weapon, um, and some weapons are better than others. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's directed by Yoshihiro Nishimura, if I'm saying that right, um, who is a special effects artist, and so. Is it Tokyo Gore Police and all that? that, that, that that's the backdrop, isn't it? So, so yeah, um, well, it's, it's, it's actually it's a sequel to just Meatball Machine, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, isn't quite as impressive. Um, like the the effects are 
kind of very impressive for practical effects. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. The, the level of design and the imagination. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. You know, every, it's cyberpunk, it's steampunk, it's bonkers. It's very... Kind of well, I, I described it as being um, like Troma decided to remake Tetsuo after watching Hellraiser 3 one too many times. That's That, that sums it up nicely for me. Yeah, um, and... You know, if you if you thought you had a hard time with it, imagine watching it with a hangover. It's very quickly edited. There's lots of flashing lights and noise and noise, and there's there's a lot of nonsense to get your head around. Um, but I enjoyed it, like in a in a in a weird kind of way. <laughs> I survived it. Now, look, we're, <laughs> indeed, yes, no, I and I I I basically was traumatized by it. So but the, but the fact <laughs> the fact is, it stuck with me. So like like I I, I can I can only hold I can only hold my hand up and say. That, that it that it that it that it was good. At the time, mm. I hated it. Yeah, I which remember. Is, which is kind of well, not not hate's the wrong word. I was I was against it. Mm. If that's if that's a better way of describing it, because I was like I wasn't ready for it. No. But like all good art, when it stays with you, yes. And the fact we're talking about it now with with eleven enthusiasm tells you that it was it was better than something to hate. It was. It, you know, art, art films, films being art, should be challenging, and, and there's a lot in this film to to consume and decide what you think it's about. I mean, there's a moment where the whole of the town that's trapped under the glass jar are holding their hands against the inside of it, and we're seeing translations of messages, and they're they're big macro things, aren't they? They're yeah. about you know yeah, about yeah. how Japanese feel about themselves, how they feel about the nation, how they feel about the world and how it thinks about Japan. It mentions the nuclear bomb and stuff. So so clearly this film has got a lot more going into it than just simply, you know, Hellraiser meets um Tetsuo. Tetsuo you yeah, know? Yeah. So I mean and, and that may be if you were Japanese you'd see this more clearly. But for my my naive fifth day of Fright Fest mind I was I was a bit fried at that point. Now, given it's Fright Fest, just give uh, Fright Fest, given it's Britflix podcast, let me just quickly do a bit of a rundown of the British films that yeah, were at yeah, Fright yeah, Fest yeah. that I managed to see. So I'll just list them first and then we'll go from there. So I got to see Accountable, Attack of the Adult Babies, Boots on the Ground, um, Double Day, Eat Locals, Fanged Up, uh, Mountain Fever, which I'm going to include as a British film. Um, and that was about the size of it. I think of that group of films, I would say that Mountain Fever was my favourite of the British films I saw, with um, with Double Date a close second. Um, very different movies altogether. Mountain Fever is about a city boy going escaping what's been announced as a as a, um, a an epidemic virus to his parents' um, chalet cabin out in the Swiss Alps. When he gets there, they're not there. And there's not many other people in the town there either. And while he's settling in, thinking, I'll ride this out, he gets held captive by someone in his own house. Mm. And it's beautiful. Did you see that one? No, it sounds good. It's beautifully done. Um, It's got very little dialogue. And as a result, it's like, it does, it does, it's the language of cinema that explains, it helps you explain what's going on. So people's, people's actions help you understand what's going on in the movie. And, and there's just some lovely twists and turns in terms of the motivations of people. And actually, when the, when, when the end of the world does come and you know it's here and you know why it's happening, i.e. a virus, obviously people catch it, they die. Um, so knowing that and then seeing how people behave in the face of that is done beautifully by um, Hendrik Faller, who uh, wrote and directed it. Oh, that sounds good. I'll definitely have to check that one out. And it kind of puts me in mind of another one on your list. Which is what? 
Freehold. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yes, that's another British one. Yes. Um, and I, I really like Freehold. How do mm. you feel about it? Freehold was, if anyone saw uh, Sleep Tight a few years ago, the Spanish thriller about the front-of-the-desk man who hides in somebody's bed, and uh, Adam Mason's uh, Hangman, which was more of a more of the kind of taking the urban legend of tramps living in your house. Um, whereas Freehold basically gave us this cocky little estate agent fella living in his flat, you know, proper a proper man cave, you know, Xbox projector, no dishes washed up, you know, he's on speed down with his local delivery service, they know him by his first name. And he's about to have his girlfriend move in, but actually that's the least of his worries because there's a, there's, a, there's a stringy man. And I say stringy because he's painfully thin, isn't he? Well, it, it's Javier Batet, who... Um, he's a Spanish actor, funny enough. Yeah. Just and, with sleep time. And <laughs> um, he... Uh, I, I, just in case anyone is listening to this who, who doesn't know who he is, he is basically the go-to creature guy. That's right, yeah. For many, many films. Uh, if you look at his IMDb, um, he's done a lot of, like, British stuff, like we saw him he's, in... He's in Alien Covenant, for example, he's one of the... Yeah, oh yeah, exactly, he's in Conjuring 2, he's the cricket man in that, right, which yeah. was done practically, believe it or not, um, so yeah, he is uh, sort of an icon without anyone ever having seen his face before. And so. when you see him, he's a phenomenal, I mean, he's a very physical actor, isn't he? Well, given, given yeah. that's his background, he's the perfect guest for this role, and do, do you think that the film... The film's message, on a very base level, and given how it was introduced by the um, by the director, is about we've had a bad time with estate agents, therefore estate agents are bad. I wasn't comfortable with that message as a film. Yeah, no, I... I uh, yeah, I, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from. The laugh, but... the laugh lasts about 30 seconds. I understand it as a point. It's a bit like saying journalists are all bad, you know? But I, I actually didn't... I sort of saw him as being kind of a bit of a tragic character. Like, I, I don't think that you you hate what he's done, but the punishment he receives is so severe, mm. and it, it's not really played... I mean, I guess it is played for comedy, in a way, um, but I took it to be... Jesus Christ, this is way more than this guy deserves. No, the jo- it does... And, a- and you do, there's a tipping point where you do feel sympathy for Yeah, there's, him. The, the, there's a point where the joke's not funny anymore, because there's, there's lots, of, lots of, like, literally toilet humour, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> where we're talking toilet brushes down the pan and pissing on them and all kinds of all these cutlery and things and, and whatever, and then we're seeing him use them, so it's all a bit... <laughs> pass me the sick bag. But actually, it goes beyond there, doesn't it? And it, it isolates him... You know, it's um... and and it humanizes him as well. Like I, I sort of I felt the relationship at the heart of it partly because um, Mandy Dillon, uh, mm. who played his his girlfriend Mel, mm-hmm. was so fucking amazing. Like I, I found that relationship to be one of the most real I've seen on screen in mm. a long time. Like it's you know, this sort of it's almost like a, a montage of moments within a relationship. She was reluctant. She was reluctantly this mum, this second mother to this man boy, wasn't exactly, she? Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. she was basically trying to go, come on, bloody hell fire. And and she was fantastic. And so um it was lovely to see uh, Javier's face uh, in a film um and uh, I mean you're right, it's not the most original thing in the world, and actually you compared it to Sleep Tight, I felt that it could almost be a lost episode of Inside Number Nine. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It really had that kind of humour and that tone, and, and even the payoff as well of, of, of an episode of Inside Number Nine without 
going too heavy into spoilers, but um, yeah, it, it had a twisted sense of humour. I thought it was, you know, I mean, it's, it's it's a really enjoyable watch. It's yeah. just it's just that it's I, I found, edge a bit. I found, yeah, the, the the idea that somebody who is only being who's achieving something based on their own individual aspirations, which is they've ended up being a state agent, is not a crime, and doing what state agents do to earn their money is only within it's not like it's what they're not I mean you know none of us want to get taken for a ride but nothing that a state agents do is breaking the law it's taking the piss don't get me wrong but it isn't breaking the law so it just felt that a lot of the film relied on the fact that we all agree that a state agents are bad mm. whereas actually the brilliance of the film was what the hell do you do when things that happen in your house and you can't explain it mm-hmm. and everyone and it drives you mad and he's making you ill mm-hmm. I mean that was all brilliantly done so I mm-hmm. didn't think it needed that that emphasis but yeah, it did, and it and it was really dry. So yeah, no, I guess yeah, that was so the other the other British one that, that I enjoyed, and I think this is where we might meet a difference of opinion for once. So uh, sorry, sorry, dear listener, for so much agreement between the pair of us. <laughs> um, was uh, was Double Date, which I I I I loved. I mean, it was more comedy than horror, although it had some amazing fight scenes in it, um, and 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 had a had a, a blood sacrifice ritual. So that's at the heart of any good horror. Um, but um, it wasn't it wasn't one that rocked your boat as much. I, I yeah I, I found positives in it for sure. I f- thought that Kelly Wenham um, is a star of the future. Mm. I think um, James Swanton, who who I actually know, um, I, and I don't want to say what part he plays, but um, he was fantastic and again another horror star of the future mm. for sure in a sort of slightly different way. Um, so performances were great. Like Michael Sosha was great as well. He, he, I think he carried a lot of the movie. He's, he's, he's sort of um, he's, he's sort of natural. Is yeah, he is really good. He's great, and obviously he worked with Shane Meadows, so you know he's he's pretty good peg, pedigree. There. But I would like, I would I would want to congratulate. I do want to congratulate Danny Morgan. Oh, of course, on, yeah. on, a, on a really strong script. I think he he managed he managed to deliver us some. He's got an ear for a gag and an eye for the absurd. I think it's safe to say. Um, there was moments in that film which, you know, in isolation, if you didn't enjoy the whole movie, were just proper laugh out loud. There is a there is a lovely moment where he returns to his family and we get to meet what the family looks like of a 29-year-old come 30-year-old virgin. And it's not some twisted cartoon thing. I mean, they are quite, you know, they are, they are stereotypes of some sort or another. But... Um, but they're all wearing T-shirts with his face on, and it's they're getting ready to celebrate his 30th birthday because they love him dearly. But he's coming up on on MDMA at the time, and it's just a lovely, lovely uh, clash of the two. Really, that he's he's experiencing something very outside the family life, and they're doing something they've done every year. He's celebrating his birthday in front of his version of the girl he was having a version relationship with. It was no, it was a lovely moment though. Yeah, and and you know, like I say, there there are things to like in it. Um, it's good soundtrack and, and all that kind of thing, and you know, like I Actually, say, yes, yeah, no, you got you got go, haven't you, on the, yeah. doing the score and and also making a guest appearance in the movie and on the club scenes. Yeah, yeah, um, which, so, yeah, which we, apparently is if you don't ask, you don't get. That was a bit of a can we use some of your music? And then it was like, let's do the score. And then it's like, let's be in the film. Suddenly, yeah, yeah. suddenly you've got a collaboration with Go, Swedish, yeah. Swedish crowd rockers. Which, 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 adds, uh, which adds a lot to it. You are listening to... The Britflix Fright Fest. 
Preview Podcast. There was a, there was a definite Marmite film there, I felt. Um, I don't know what your thoughts were, but Leatherface seemed to divide quite a few people. Yes, of, of, of all me the too. Fi- <laughs> of all the films, of all the films for it to be, it's like I guess. I mean, it, what ended up being? I don't think. I don't, I'm trying to think if. I don't think Toby Hooper had passed away at that point no, when it showed. No, so, he hadn't. so literally, you. I I was I I thought it was a real like this sounds this is damning a film with faint praise. It was a really good film, but it wasn't a good Texas Chainsaw Massacre prequel. Oh, that's interesting. It didn't leave me where Texas Chainsaw was about to happen. Texas Chainsaw was a film for me that holds up a mirror to American society in 1974 and says. You're an international embarrassment because of what you're doing in Vietnam. You're also we're, we're also seeing the the, the the standoff between rural traditions that don't want to move and the liberal cities wanting to take them dragging and screaming into the post-industrial future. Mm. And that's all in there. Whereas what we have is a really you know well-produced period drama. It picks up on the what's it called the children's program or something, which was about. People, children who was, whose welfare wasn't was seen to be in danger, so they were put on the protected children program, or whatever it was called. You know, that was maybe one commentary, but you know, it certainly wasn't filmed in bloody Texas, so that that doesn't make it uh, that authentic either. And that kind of blew it for me. It's like you know, you think of the blistering. Well, it, it, it was called Leatherface, so it wasn't called Texas Chainsaw Leatherface. So, but it is, but it is a it is a Texas Chainsaw prequel. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. In theory, they're in Texas. Yeah, sure. So the idea of fudging the production yeah. to be not, it's, it's a weird thing. And also we know the war stories of making the first one in terms of you know the heat and stuff of, of what is really Texas. But in saying that, there was some really inventive stuff in it. Um, and uh, for me, there's a diner scene in there um, that, that's, that's the sort of got, sort of got the humour and, 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 and the wit of a Tarantino scene. Um, there's some, there's some re- there's a, I mean, I won't spoil it, we're talking about it, but there's a whole Act Two misdirect, isn't there? Yeah, which which was fantastic. Which is a great, great. I mean, in terms of what you went into watch Leatherface for, you know, hats off to the filmmakers and that to, to for for what they decided to do there. Um, I mean, it's, essentially, it's the, the the problem I have with it is that when anyone, whenever anyone tries to do the making of a madman type film, which is all Leatherface is at the end of the day, is how does someone go from being innocent child to to killer? Um, I don't think Leatherface was that person that they're trying to make. He was just he was just like um, of mice of mice and men, isn't it? Where you know the heavy-handed man kills the the, the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And while while you could argue that that that, um, that Sally and Co were invading the house because they come they come from nowhere, his actions were only to protect his family. He wasn't out to kill in a kind of predatory sense. And it, and I just felt like we'd been given the setup for a film that's going to be about a man that kills with a chainsaw. Well, for me, it's very interesting you say that because for me, so I, I'm a big sort of comic book person, and um, especially DC. I prefer DC to Marvel, and DC have this thing called the multiverse where they have different realities where all your sort of favourite characters exist in these realities, but mm. they've got a twist. So. You know, Soviet maybe, Superman. Yeah, there you go. Um, or you know, Batman who's obsessed with owls instead of bats and all oh, the rest right, of okay, it, okay. right? 
And so for me, Leatherface felt like a parallel universe movie. It didn't feel connected to uh, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre in, it, in any real way at all for me, mm -hmm. um, other than you know a couple of references in there. Um, and so taking it in, in that way, as this kind of parallel universe take on it, I really enjoyed it. It had some surprises in there. It had, um, I, I really liked the fact that it was kind of a, a Devil's Rejects style road movie as opposed to the typical, you know, group of teenagers turn up at the house mm. and, you Like know. I said, I mean, I think it's a good film, but I just don't think it's a good, as a, and I, if, if I take your theory, no, I mean, then, it's then not I even buy, a theory. I can it's buy just, into it. Yeah, I can yeah. buy into it more. Um, but, and, and I, you know, part of the joy of it, you know, it being Fright Fest, I was sat behind most of the cast and kind of watching their reaction. It was the first time they'd seen it, so sort of seeing their reactions to certain things. Mm. Um, and I thought um, Vanessa Grass, is that how you say her name? But um, the, the lead, basically, the, mm. the, the female lead, um, who, who plays the nurse I, th I thought she was absolutely fantastic um, and there was there's a moment where she stood on a hill in a dress and her and her mate were laughing to each other about the shot and uh, yeah that was quite an entertaining moment but yeah I thought she was great in the film I want to see more from her she hasn't done much um, she was in Robo Shark in 2015 um, but I thought she was great in the film um, and yeah, it was violent, it was nasty, it was entertaining, it had a lot of Rob Zombie influence, and if you go back to our podcast from last year, we, <laughs> we both like our Rob Zombie, so um, yeah man, I, I enjoyed Leatherface, like yeah, I, I know a lot of people didn't, but well, I did, so there. <laughs> of the, um, I guess I guess the, the one thing that everyone noticed, even if they didn't see the film, hmm. was the... Uh, the crew and lead woman from um, Ruin Me. Oh yeah. Who who made the very clever decision to use the festival as a, as a as a complete tie-in with their movie. Mm. So did you see Ruin Me? I did. Yeah, yeah. So did you did you notice them walking around with their orange rucksacks on the entire time? And now I didn't ever cross paths with them, which this is, is weird. And like they, they said, it was said in the intro that they'd been wandering around. I never saw them, so um, yeah, no, it was it was. I think I saw them everywhere I went, oh, which wow. was lovely. I mean, I interviewed um, t uh, Trista and, and Preston, mm. uh, the the writer and the and the director, yeah, um, before. But it was it was really funny to uh, to see them because in for those that didn't see the movie, there's a there's a beginning setup where each person taking part on this what they what, let's call it experiential theatre, whereby you go for a camping trip, and really you're you're allowing people to scare the bejeebas out of you by pretending you're in a horror film. But obviously, it being a horror film, it go it, it jumps its own shark part way through. Um, but you're given a, an orange rucksack with a tool, like a torch or an eye for or whatever. And they were walking around until, until they had their, what was it called? Sleepaway, uh, Camp Sleepaway or something like that, or Sleepaway was the name of the theme of the thing. But, again, that was a clever thing about it. They could have easily called it that, and that would have set a tone before you sit down to watch it, which made me think that it's maybe a bit comedy. And there is jokes in there, there's plenty of fun. But Ruin Me was a, was a really clever title, and it was tied in completely with a moment of dialogue, which is uh, when you've signed your waivers 
they promise to ruin you in the, over the next 36 hours. Yeah. Quite frankly, I don't know about you, Sam, but I, don't, I wouldn't do that as a leisure activity. No, I would definitely not. <laughs> I'm no. too much of a softie for, uh, for signing waivers that gives the actors permission to touch me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't like camping at the best of times. Throw in some slashes <laughs> and, yeah, no thanks. Um, but, yeah, Ruin Me was great. Really enjoyed it. Um, uh, what was that? For, uh, uh, one thing that I really enjoyed was, in terms of it wasn't necessarily the best film, but for me the the cleverest film, only because it was just a simple idea, was uh, was Radius. I don't know if you watched that one. I didn't see Radius. Radius but I heard good things. Had a beautiful, it's a beautiful sci-fi story. Two people come together, and what's amazing is the horror concept or horror conceit. Sorry, in it is this idea of our lead character. If he comes within fifty feet of you or fifty yards of you, you're gonna die. Which is a big problem for anyone. Yeah. That's worse than the Skittles man who touches phones and they turn to Skittles. Um, and I just thought I just thought it was a really simple idea played out well because they then draw that out into a wonderful sci-fi story, which in many senses is is a kind of, is a kind of um, is a it's a kind of a, a, a misdirect in some senses. I don't you know you're you're watching something and what will be revealed is going to devastate the two main characters for polar opposite reasons when they both know the truth. And for that to happen is really clever. I didn't, I, I didn't, see, I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't appreciate it until it starts. It's almost like one of the films where it's kind of... It, it's going on, it's very much a kind of, what's the mystery? Let's go and search the mystery out. And the wonderful convenience of the, the conceit about his 50 yards thing is that when he's with this woman, she negates it. So as long as she's near this woman, you don't die. And there's a lovely bit where they're separated. Mm, that sounds great. No, yeah. it's a really simple idea. Um, and I guess the hardest film that was at the festival this year... And I'm going to guess off... I mean, that's off 30, so I think that's a good spread of them, and I might be wrong, but it was the Brazilian movie Our Evil. I don't know if you saw that Didn't one. see that one either. I only saw 20, so yeah, you're, you're way ahead of me. Yeah, Our, Our Evil was... Um, I guess cinematically, it's the first time I've seen a film go, take us into the dark web, for starters. Right. Um, a man needing a hitman goes onto the dark web, and... I mean, this is, I'm joking about it, but it, I mean, horrifying if I think about it. He goes onto like the hitman's page, as it were, within within the dark web, and um, there's video evidence of him doing his killing, mm. and that's pretty grim. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um, and there are there are a couple of um, there are a couple of very gruesome kills in our evil, which will for the for, for the first half of the movie will will. We'll, we'll, we'll prey on your conscience, we'll, we'll, we'll make you uncomfortable about, you, about what you're going to watch, but the film does move into a different place, so it sets you up for one thing and carries you into another, and for that, I think it's a really, really good movie. Mm, interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I, one that, Another one that I liked, Replace. Um, okay. Not one I got on with, I'm No, afraid. no. What so, did you like about it? Um, well, I thought that it's... Um, as I'm sure you know, um, I'm sure you have the same experience. Um, very often, watch so many films that you're two steps ahead of them before they've even started walking. Mm. Um, whereas with Replace, even though you know it didn't really pull the rug out from under me completely, 
there was a long period where I wasn't quite sure where I was, mm-hmm. um, and I actually really enjoy that experience. Um, certainly, when it's a filmmaker that I trust, and I feel like there's enough taste in Replace in terms of the production design and mm. um, the music performances, um, it carried me through that confusion to, I, I think, a satisfying payoff. Um, I'm keeping this super vague because you it's, know, it's a I enjoyed the journey, so I want other people. It's to a body it. horror, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty clear from from pretty soon. Up. It is, yeah. Doesn't um, spoil anything that no, ambiguous too. No, definitely. Um, but yeah, it plays around with. Yeah, I don't want to say too much, but I, I found it a, a beautiful film, well performed. Um, and, and very beautifully shot. Um, oh no, no, it's a beautiful. I mean, uh, and uh, that, that's a that, that big. I mean, I think that's one of the great things about Fright Fest over the recent years for me, is that there are these films which, while they have kind of horror notes, they're a lot more delicate than that than, than a straight up horror mm. where you you know you've got to with, with, if you're gonna if you're gonna deliver, if, you, if we were talking to sales agents, you'd want to be telling them about the visceral and about the horror and the scares. Whereas not every film at Fright Fest is going to deliver on any of those things in many senses. No, I mean, you look at sort of Imitation Girl, which it's, you know... That's my, that's what I was going to get onto. Oh, there you go. That's a, it was, it, in the sense that, I think in the last few years there's been, um, there was They Look Like People, mm-hmm. which was this amazing film that used the conceit of one man's belief that everyone around him was an alien, was mm-hmm. going to take his over. Yeah, yeah. And it was really a film about mental health. Yeah, and, and, and quite disturbing. Yeah, probably. and then and, and and the idea of of a good friend entertaining someone's delusion, yeah, yeah. to help them through it, which yeah. was a, was just a brilliant, brilliant thing to do. And then then last year there was Man Underground about a sort of dwindling in popularity conspiracy theorist deciding to make a movie of his story because it'd be the best way to communicate it, and literally filming his breakdown, mm-hmm. which again was really sensitively done. Well, uh, with with Imitation Girl, I think I think it's got 2017's for me personally, hidden hidden gem of the uh, of the festival. Yeah, um, for me because obviously it's Discovery Screen film, and it's I mean again it's that wonderful thing of where you have to sort of trust. You, you learn to tr- in this one it's a debut film, so you're you're watching it and learning to trust the filmmaker, and the filmmaker builds that trust up with you quite easy. There's a wonderful opening, a kind of break in the sky. Something falls out, and a complete imitation of a glamour model, I guess, played by a porn star. Uh, porn say. star, yeah. yeah. With um, played by um, Laura Ashen Carter, who, if anyone's seen Jugface or she's the older sister in The Woman, um, gives an amazing performance. And she's this baseless, this blank canvas of a woman. Parallel to that story is the real um, woman who she's imitating. Who's this character, Julianne Fox? Who's the opposite of a bank camera? Yes, yeah, she's lived a life, she's made decisions, and she's trapped by who she is. And I think, and I think maybe, I mean, I don't know what you thought. Is is it just about identity and how we can is how we confine ourselves by? It? I mean, I don't think that doesn't spoil anything. But but the film yeah. doesn't give any doesn't give you any idea of how the hell these two versions of the same woman are ever going to come together. And if they do, why are they going to come together? And yet the film delivers all that. Yeah, yeah, in, no, in a really clever way. Yeah, it's a very, very special performance at the heart of it. I believe she was two people. I yeah, not you thought completely. Yeah. I mean, it was basically just. I mean, in a way, to look at it was a simple use of makeup and hair, but performance-wise, yeah. it was like hearing two different people. 
Yeah, no, it was, it was a great one. It was a great one. Um, I also enjoyed Stillborn. Did you see Stillborn? I did, yes, I did. Um, what do you think of that one? I thought, I, weirdly, I think it punched well above its weight. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like a like a late 80s hand that rocks the cradle type type thriller. Mm. I mean, certainly delivered on the kind of um, the, the, the baby in peril, mm. child in peril kind of um, madness in the finale and stuff. But but also in this one they bring their their horror spin, which is genuine, is this notion of a uh, demonic child catcher, which is, I don't know, you could you could either read it literally, mm-hmm. or you could say it's post traumatic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it it, it builds to uh, I think one of the best endings I saw at Fright Fest. I'd agree um, with it, yeah. Uh, this year, um, it's just fantastic, fantastic. Second act is a little bit, you know, a little bit not as good as the rest of it. It's, it has to go through its own rules, doesn't it? In a it, way, exactly. It, it spends yeah. the second half of the second act going, and this is the this is what happened before. This is what she's suffering from, and then it, the third act goes, okay, we can get back into, and that's where it really shines. So um, yeah, that's that's definitely a bit of a gem. For me, yeah, I mean, I the, sim- the setup's really simple, isn't it? A woman gives birth to twins and only one survives. Yeah. And so she begins to believe that either a baby's possessed or, or there's, a, there's a demon come to get the baby. And it's and it's played really well because you've got, on the one hand, the husband that hasn't had to do the physical birth and therefore hasn't had to suffer the, the idea of killing a baby. So he's not traumatised in that sense. He's kind of like, well, we've got one baby, <laughs> which is done really well. And then you've got the neighbour next door who's nice as pie, and she's having like the perfect baby sleeps through the night, and I don't, I don't know. I, and, and it was clever in the sense that it managed to sort of pull in elements of paranormal activity for its scares. Definitely, yeah. It really reminded me of that in places, and and also sort of tonally. You know, the most obvious comparison is Rosemary's Baby. It's yeah. got that sense of paranoia. Um, you talk about the neighbour that's nice as pie, but there's certainly dark elements to her that are, you know, that you can kind of see why uh, our heroine might be a little bit paranoid. Oh, um, in the script, it's set up brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, the, it really the, the paranoia is real because yeah. she's been fed information yeah. that when you're confused and frightened by a demon trying to date your baby yeah, yeah. in the cold light of day, you don't know what day it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 it, yeah, it's really really good. Very much recommend. Stillborn. Um, we should probably start to wrap this up soon. Um, I think we can. You've just done it. I think. Have I? You have. Is there not any other like better watch out? Do you not want to? Are there any other ones on your list you want to mention? Better watch Quick out. Round out. Did you round see out. better watch out? I didn't. No. So please don't spoil it. Well, better. I've, I won't spoil it because to spoil it would be to spoil what I enjoyed. Yeah. But safe to say that for 15 minutes I thought I'd rushed into Leicester Square to watch a perfunctory um, home invasion movie and it's by far that it is a really really good clever thoughtful film and it, you're going to be scared of millennials oh good yeah oh, brilliant oh I really want to see it I was gutted I missed it the other, the other one and, and on, on the opposite end of the millennial scale is the very beautiful beautifully uh, in tone was, uh, was Dead Shack Oh, I missed that one as well. Which, really wanted to see that. Which, on a vibe front, um, is essentially R-rated Goonies. I mean, it's not as expansive as an adventurous Goonies. Don't 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 take that. But the kind of camaraderie between the the main characters is very much that. It's it's the modern dysfunctional family. You've got the divorced dad with the new younger woman girlfriend, the two kids that love him, 
and the dad that's scared to death that his kids don't love him. So he's trying to be their mate and their dad, and and he's a terrible drunk, but not not in a, not in a violent way. But he just is. He's, they're on holiday and the skin, and they bring a friend with them, who brings his own troubles, and so you've got this real complex set of dynamics which go to make just a wonderfully warm movie. Um, and in the middle of it is a um, is a house that's got zombies in it. Brilliant. And uh, I'd like to quickly mention Alone, actually, um, which I know you weren't... That's another, Matt, that's another Leatherface, really, because I'm... I'm... Did, what was your thoughts on it? Well, um, it's another film with a young cast, which is, you know, what, what put it in my mind. But um, it's a, a French film, kind of... It's got basically... Uh, the scope of a blockbuster like Hunger Games or something like that but with the it was shot like an indie um, I thought it was beautifully shot um, and it's got a, a kind of indie cast as well very diverse mm-hmm. brilliant performances um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it kind of builds to a very divisive ending which we will <laughs> just to say the least which we will not go into but in the vaguest possible terms it goes somewhere that I've, I've seen a million times before and I was a bit disappointed that all of this loveliness in terms of uh, performances and cinematography was being thrown away in an ending that I'd seen before. But then it takes a final turn, which is unlike anything I've seen before, and made me desperate for a sequel. So um, let's, let's really not spoil it. But I wouldn't dream of it, no, but I think you're right. The, the implication being that if you can, if you can get past... The lump in the road that is its kind of, this is why they're in the world, this is why they're alone in the world. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is the title. Uh, you're fine. Yeah. But if, if, if like me, you kind of like, you, you spat your popcorn out <laughs> and went, because um, I'm a cynical old man, um, then, uh, then you might not get past it. Um, so on that... I'm going to draw Frightfest 2017 to a close. Oh, do we have to? We do, Sam. All right. Well, um, thanks for having me, Stu. You're welcome. And uh, I look forward to having a bath with you when you're next on the Arrow Podcast. <laughs> you have been listening to... The Britflicks Frightfest Preview Podcast. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.